So we've had these themes each week for Christmas and for Advent to celebrate the coming of the Christ and all that has meant for the history of the world and for the existence of the church. And we have seen these themes that God propels His people with hope, that He calms His people with peace, that He grants an overwhelming joy to those in sorrow. And then this morning, our final theme is that He shows amazing love. Amazing love, remarkable love. And we've seen that these themes, I trust, these are ways that God strengthens us, that He enables us to endure in our pilgrimage in this life. This is how He enables us to endure by faith to the very end of our race. And this morning we have three short scripture readings as we bring closure to the celebration of Advent. And those passages are Isaiah 9, 6, which you've heard each week, and then 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, and then the very familiar John 3, 16 and 17. So give your attention to the reading of God's Word. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders... And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Let's pray together that God would bless His Word. Lord, would You open our ears and soften our hearts, enable our eyes to see that which is before us, all the beautiful promises that You've made to Your people, to those who will confess their sins, to those who will trust in Jesus. We ask this and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So each week I've tried to highlight that we need to remember that the church and the world share vocabulary, but we have a different dictionary. We use similar terms, but we end up defining our terms very differently. We saw that that's true of hope. There is a hope of the world. There is a biblical hope. There's a peace promised in the world, there is a peace promised in Scripture. There's a joy in the world of the world, but there is a joy of Christ revealed in the Bible. So similar terms, but very different definitions and conclusions. We see the same thing. The world talks of sexuality. The world talks of family. The world talks of gender. But the Bible speaks very differently of those things, defining terms 
differently. So just let's be reminded, the church and the world share a vocabulary, but we tend to have a different dictionary in defining our terms. And the same is true this morning when it comes to love. Turn on the radio in your car, turn on your television, you'll hear songs, you'll see movies, and the theme of them is love. The Bible talks about love, but it talks about love and defines it in a much different way, a very full way that I hope that we'll get a taste of this morning. Look up love in the dictionary, and you will find that it says, love is a great interest or pleasure in something. And it is. Love is having a great interest or finding a pleasure in something. Years ago, Andy Williams told us that love is a many splendored thing. It's splendid in many different ways. C.S. Lewis reminded us of the four loves, right? Four different kinds of love. Eros and storge and phileo and agape. A full-orbed love has all of those facets to it. And then in the 80s, Tina Turner caused us to ask the question, well, what has love got to do with it? It's just a second-hand emotion, she said. So the world is talking about love all the time, and the scriptures are speaking about love all the time. So big picture, Christmas love. What are we talking about? What is that love? What that love is not. What that love did... And most importantly for us, what that love still does. Okay? That's the big picture this morning. Christmas love, what it is. 1 John chapter 4 tells us, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And I want us to emphasize his emphasis of the placement of priority. And we're going to apply it to Christmas love. You know, Christmas love is not that we loved God. It's that He loved us. He loved us first. He took the initiative to love us. Now, why is that important? Um, Children in the church, if you want to see mom and dad fight a little bit today at lunch, ask them, say, Mommy... Who liked whom first? Did daddy like you first? Or did you like him first? Then daddy's going to speak up and daddy's going to say, oh, she liked me first, right? And then she's going to say, no, 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 no. And then you're going to see him quibble a little bit. Who took initiative is one way to say that. And somebody ended up taking initiative, right? Somebody had to have the guts to say, can I have your number? Or, here's my number, whatever the case may be. Somebody takes initiative, and we'll fight about that. But the scriptures make it very clear, and this is actually very theologically important, that it's not that we loved God. It's that He loved us. He took the initiative. He pursued and loved his people. He took all the initiative. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the start of verse 10. This is love. Here's the definition. This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. There's your order, there's your emphasis, there's your priority. God has loved us in that way, and it's a beautiful thing. God has taken initiative, He has taken pursuit of us. Well, how did He love us? How has God loved us? He has not loved us as the world defines love. He has not loved us with a worldly love. Now, I'm not going to make a long case of this. I've spoken of this in previous sermons. But I would say that the world's love is pretty easy. It's pretty cheap. It's willy-nilly, hot and cold, come and go kind of love. It's Hallmark Channel love, right? That's the world that the love knows. That's the love that the world emphasizes. But God's love is not willy-nilly. It's not cheap. It's not hot and cold. It's not come and go. God's love is deep. It's constant. It's costly. It's a promise-keeping love. It's a relentless love. It's a redeeming love. Those are all the kinds of adjectives that the Scriptures portray about the love of God. Or put a little differently, we could call it this. Full-orbed love. The full picture of what love should be. Of what love can be. And we heard a description of it for our pastoral prayer. What does that love look like? That full-orbed love. Well, it's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and never fails. That's God's love. Now, do you hear the contrast with the love that the world knows, with the love that the world portrays? It's two very different things. Very similar terminology, but a very different description. That's Christmas love. What it is and what it isn't. So Christmas love, well, what did it do? What it did is love came down. Love came down like a light coming down in the midst of of darkness. And the scriptures say that this was a promised love. We were told that God would engage his creation to redeem it with this kind of love. Isaiah chapter 9, which we've heard every week in this series, God said he would send his son, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called wonderful counselor. What he says is always true. He'll be a mighty God, strong to save. He'll be an everlasting Father, not one who grows old and weak and faint. He will last forever, and He will be the Prince. He'll be the ruler of peace forevermore. That's the description of what love did at Christmas. Love came down to us. It took initiative and love pursued us. So a few years ago, a musician 
named Josh Garrels produced a Christmas album. And it's my favorite Christmas album in recent years to listen to. Some of you maybe know this. I introduced some people to it this week. But the title of the, the CD and, and one of the songs is titled, The Light Came Down. And that's exactly right. The light came down. And this is how he puts it into words. Listen to this. It's beautiful. All of our fears, hopes, and prayers, He has heard and He has answered us. The light came down and cast all darkness away. A new day is dawning. Old things have passed. All things are made new. That's biblical truth. That's Christmas love. That's what God has done for sinners like us. The promise that all that is wrong will be made right. Darkness is chased away by the light that came down. And there is newness, the hope of newness for every one of us. That is Christmas love. That is what it did. It came down to us. What did it come down to do? It came down to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's the second part of 1 John 4, chapter 10. First part, this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son, why? As an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A self-sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for your sins and for mine. That is Christmas love. To atone. To atone is to make right by paying the required price of justice. And what is the required price for sin? The Bible says it's blood. And not a little blood, the lifeblood, the life of the sinner himself. And Jesus has come down at Christmas to be the atoning sacrifice, to shed his blood for his people, for his church. That's Christmas love. That's what Christmas love did. Now, who would take an interest in such a love? Who would find interest in such a story? Dietrich Bonhoeffer answers the question when he says this. The joyous celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Do you hear what he said? Who, who is it that cares about Christmas? Who cares about a joyous Advent, the coming of the Lord Jesus? It's those who are troubled in soul. It's those who know that they're sinners. It's those who know that there is something right between, excuse me, something wrong between the creature and the creator. Those who know that something is wrong they will find joyous celebration in Christmas love. And I think that is exactly right. Christ came down at Christmas. The light has come into our darkness. That's what it did. 
That's what Christmas love did. Now, my third point and my last point, but I want to sit here for a few minutes, is Christmas love, what does it still do? That's what it did, but what does it still do? Well, Christmas love, what it still does is it still offers that light and that love that came down, but it's now offered through God's people, through the church, to the dark world that needs to hear it. The light that came down in our history is now offered in our present through the church to the world in which we live, to the community in which we live, to the neighborhood in which you live, to the place in which you work, to the gym in which, to which you go. It's offered through you into the darkness of the world. Sinclair Ferguson, who I've quoted frequently, uh, in 2008, I found, this, um, I found this recently, but in 2008, he was addressing the Evangelical Presbyterian Church at their synodical meeting. And this is titled, The Church's Greatest Evangelism Tool is Being the Church. And there is a lot of gold here. I want to revisit this in 2022 with, with us. But I want you just to listen to his own words. I've extracted a few paragraphs. It's too long to have print, printed and put up here. So just listen. He says this. I remember cringing a few years ago when the Mel Gibson passion movie came out. And I heard a number of ministers making foolish pronouncements like, this is the greatest evangelistic tool there has ever been in the entire history of the church. When anyone uses that type of language, you can be pretty certain they know almost nothing about the history of the church. What about the church, he says? Jesus teaches us that his single greatest evangelistic agency is the church. Not the church simply as a random collective of individuals who have been converted, but the church as a new countercultural community in which the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit comes to expression in the unity and community and joy and sense of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ among his people. There should be something about us, he says, the very atmosphere of our fellowships together that the Holy Spirit uses to make people ask, what is this? How is this? Where did this come from? And if our fellowship does not provoke such questions about the church, we should wonder if there is anything redemptive, beautiful, and heavenly about our community of fellowship. And then he finishes with this. Now, I'm a middle-aged man, and so I'm more blunt and less cautious than I once was in saying what I'm about to say. True churches have what it takes to make an extraordinary impact 
upon people. What is it? To be the church. To be the church. Do you hear what he's saying? I know it was a long quote. He's saying, look, stop looking for gimmicks. Stop looking for silver bullets. God has said he uses ordinary people. And the work of the Spirit through ordinary people, ordinary families, he will do his work his way. And it will be a beautiful thing when sinners start repenting of sin, when sinners start to love each other and care about each other, and when sinners start to tell of their Christ and what He has done for them, the forgiveness He offers, the change He brings, the newness of life He works, that's the church being the church. And I really do want to encourage in the year 2022, maybe that's going to be our theme, to, for us to all just go be the church. To use your living rooms and your dining room tables and your patios and your porches and your coffees and your lunches and your dinners to, to go be the church in Greenwood and beyond. That's how God ministers through the church to people. Yes, he ministers through, through sermons and, and preachers and through the particular fellowship on Sunday morning. But I'm highlighting Monday through Friday and how you and I are the church in the world as we live. That's what Christmas love still does. God is still at work bringing the glory and the light of His Son to bear on a world that is trapped in its own darkness that can't define its terms correctly, that's groping in the darkness for meaning and truth and significance, and it, it, it can't be found. Outside of the Creator, the creation has no meaningful existence. That's what Christmas love is. Christmas love is God announcing to sinners and to a sinful world, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Do you know what that is? That's amazing love. That's amazing love. Now, amazing is a term that we use all the time. That's amazing. That was an amazing game yesterday. Did you see that play? It's amazing. We overuse the term but it's rightly applied to the love of God. It is amazing what he would do for sinners. Charles Wesley said it this way, Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Isaac Watts said the same thing his own way. Were the whole realm of nature mine that would be a present too small. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, and my all. You see, Christmas love is an amazing love. And maybe you and I get caught up in the festivities and traditions and it's not so amazing. It's you just got more presents to buy, we're running out of time. Don't forget the stocking stuffers. It's easy to forget that. We get stressed. We get busy. We've got to make the fruitcake. Got to cook the turkey. There's amazing love that is before us. 
And we get so caught up in things, sometimes we miss what God has, what God has done for us, for all the trees and the festivities and traditions around us. Don't miss the amazing love. It really is that amazing. The scriptures say that very rarely will someone die for a righteous man, though for a good man somebody may dare to die. But God demonstrated his love, his amazing love for us in this. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing love. That's how Christmas changes everything. Christmas redefines everything. Don't miss the amazing Christmas that is before you this year and really every day of your life, every day of your Christian life. It is there. It is what God has done for us. So in all this, we hear that God has had this love for his people. He's taken great interest and great affection and great pleasure in pursuing, taking the initiative with sinners, the people he would call his church. That's what he's done. Tremendous interest. Here's the uncomfortable question. How interested have you been in him? Partially interested at best, right? He has laid down everything to pursue us. Eh, we've laid down a few things some of the time. Partially interested. We're going to close in song, and I want you to feel the tension. The title of the Christmas hymn is, O Come All You Faithful. Right? We love that. I love that hymn. But you know, it's Come All Ye Unfaithful too. Right? Let's not pat ourselves on the back too much this Christmas. Christ came for unfaithful people. He faithfully came for sinners. And we don't deserve it. That's what makes his love so amazing, so divine. And the only fitting response to that is it demands my, my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray that we would be those kinds of Christians. <clears throat> Lord, we confess to you all of our unfaithfulness, our half-heartedness, our partial interest in you. But Lord, we rejoice that you pursued us. You took initiative and loved us with a divine and amazing love. Lord, may we not be so busy this Christmas that we don't see the beauty of it. Help us and our children to see it for what it is. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.